Father, we thank you, Lord, for an awakening this morning to know that you are real. And thank you, Lord, for the pure worship, our time, Lord, to, to gather together and to lift our hearts and our eyes and our hands to you. To know that we serve and worship an audience of one. And that's why we come here, Lord. Because of you. Because of you. And we thank you for that, Lord, that you are sufficient. You are all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-forgiving. And we rejoice in that, Lord. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning, that we, I, I trust that our hearts are ready to receive the very seed of your word. And, Father, I, I, I decrease that you would increase. I am to myself, of myself, so fill me with yourself that everything that I say and you, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. We pray this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Amen? All right. If you have, well, turn to 1 John if you have your Bible or Bible app. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 17 is today's text. We're now in part five of our series, Authentic. Say authentic. And before we even dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text verses 7 through 11, and I gave you three points last week. You might remember the points. Point number one was the command. Say the command. And that's in verses 7 through 8. And John writes, I am not writing you a new command, but a, an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. So in context, right, context is everything, right? In context, the command has to do with what? Loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now remember, the old command came from the Old Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself. But it's a new command in that Jesus gave it a brand new standard, and he added a new dimension to it. And we see that in John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, where, he write, where it says, a new command, Jesus says, I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Another, and by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you what love one another. The music's still playing. You hear that music? The background music's still playing. Okay, good. It's all good. Amen. <laughs> I, I just want to make sure it wasn't just me. I was just weirded out. You know. All right. Okay. And so he says, by this everyone will know that you are you are my disciples if you what love one another. So you see this command. To love is, is new in depth. It's new in, uh, in example. It's in Jesus. Say it's in Jesus. And Jesus has fleshed out what this love looks like. And then John writes, it's truth, speaking of the truth of love, is seen in him, speaking of Jesus, and you, all believers, because we're saved, this love that's in Jesus is now in us. Amen? The second point was the counterfeit. Say that. That's in verse 9, and anyone who, he writes this, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother, hates his sister, is still in the what? Darkness. And so this person's claim doesn't match their conduct. And then the third point was the converted. Say that. The converted, and that's in verses 10 through 11. And this is the true believer, the authentic believer. There's an ongoing lifestyle practice of showing love and loving 
their brothers and sisters in Christ. And then John emphasizes in verse 11 the sobering truth regarding hatred. And the person who hates his fellow believer has never come to the light at all. This now brings us to today's text. The title of my message is The Wrong Love. Everyone say that. Now say it with more enthusiasm. The Wrong Love. Well, last week's text, I want you to follow me here now, okay? Last week's text, John showed us what we should love. And that's what? Love one another as Christ has loved us, right? In today's text, he shows us what we shouldn't love. Now, now before I give you the first point, I, I want to take you through verses 12 through 14, because what that does, it flows into the rest of the text. In other words, what it does, verses 12 through 14, sets the stage for the rest of the text. You guys with me? So, so stay with me now. Verse 12, John writes this, I write to you. Say that. I write to you, and I want to stop there because John uses the phrase, I write to you 13 times in 1 John, in his epistle. And there's no other book in the Bible that has that little phrase so repeated. And, and what it does is, is it shows how intentional John is as he writes this epistle, as he writes this letter. He's not just rambling, okay? He's not just throwing out words, no. He has a target. Got it? Well, here's his target. I write to you, dear children. Say, dear children. And, and, and that, that uh, whole phrase, dear children, children there refers to those who are saved, refers to believers. Uh, he's addressing and embracing those who belong to the family of God. If you got it, say, got it. So I write to you, dear children, believers, and he affirms this even more. Let's read, let's read on. Because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And we know that only those who belong to Christ have their sins forgiven, right? Now I want you to notice the text. Forgiven on account of his name. Say his name. And that emphasizes the true basis for the assurance of sins forgiven. It speaks of the whole character of the work of Jesus Christ. And that's good news, right? Say that's good news. That we're saved, but we're saved sinners, Right? And we need to be reminded and reassured that we have been forgiven. And Jesus has purchased and secured at the cost of his life full forgiveness of all of our sins, past, present, and future sins. Now listen, this doesn't give us a license to sin. And if that's your thought, then you've never been to the cross. Right? Let's read on and you'll notice in the, this section, John, he addresses himself to fathers, uh, to young men, and children. Now, now this is, has nothing to do with age or sex, but with levels of Christian maturity. You guys with me? And you see, God's family, like every human family, has members of different maturity, right? And here John is describing different levels of spiritual growth, different levels of spiritual maturity, that not all believers, not all believers are at the same level of spiritual maturity. If you believe that, say amen. Now listen and get this. We are all, if you're saved, we are all equally forgiven, right? Equally forgiven, but we're not all equally developed, not all equally spiritually mature. And what John does, and I love this, John does is he lays out three basic spiritual categories 
categories within the body of Christ, the family of God. So follow me now, verse 13. I write to you, fathers, say fathers, because you know, know, we'll get back to that, know him who is from the beginning. Now, he's not referring to physical fathers here, but to spiritual fathers. Got it? And not just men, but also women. Okay? This describes those, when he says, write to you fathers, this describes those who are most mature and most wise. Got it? These are what we call seasoned followers of Jesus Christ. And they have progressed into deep communion with God. They're, they're, they're in the Word. They're in the Word. They, they have learned strong doctrine. They spend time praying, spend time serving. They have fought many battles, sailed many storms. They, they stand for and defend the truth of God's Word. They're characterized by spiritual maturity, not just in precept, the Word, but also in practice, lifestyle. Are you guys with me? Orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Now back to the text, back to the text, because I want to focus on this real quick here. Because you know, say no, that speaks of, that word speaks of intimate, personal love relationship. Got it? Intimate, personal love relationship, because you know him who is from the what? The beginning, speaking of the eternality of God. And so these mature believers, they are blown away by the vastness, the greatness of who God is. Not just in doctrine, but in life reality. There's depth in their relationship with God. You guys got that? This is a mature believer. And by the way, no one, can, no one ever, ever begins at this level. We, listen, we grow into this level. Right? Okay? It takes time. Listen, it takes time, trials, testings, and discipline to grow into this level. If you got it, say got it. Let's read on. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Now, these are not new believers. These are not babes in Christ. These are young believers. We call them young warriors. They're what we call young adults. You guys with me? They've been saved for a while, and they're growing significantly in God. They have endured some battles along the way and have come through them victorious. They, 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 they possess a hunger and, and a zeal for God. They're strong. They're ambitious. They're, they're eager. They're committed. They're characterized, and I love this, they're characterized by energy, intensity, and combat. They have overcome the evil one. They're, they're resisting the devil. They're not passive, they're active, they're in the battlefield. Got it? Let's read on. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. Now, the word children here, okay, is different from the word children in verse 12. Got it? Verse 12 refers to all who are saved, right? Children, all who are saved, but here the word children refers to new babes in Christ. If you got it, see, so got it. They're at an elementary level. That's what he's saying. They're starting to develop in their faith. Their faith hasn't been uh, the one that their faith hasn't been challenged. We'll say that deepened or tested yet. They know God. They know God at an elementary level. They know God as the one who takes care of them, uh, dear children, because you know the Father, one who takes care of them. 
Verse 14. And, and, and I want to say this here. What John does is he reviews what he just said. He reviews what he just said. But he only reviews two of the three categories. And perhaps, perhaps, because he doesn't want believers to be comfortable in the elementary level. He wants them to what? To mature. To mature. He emphasizes continued spiritual growth. So here we go. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. That's the mature in the faith, right? I write to you, young men, because you are strong, those who are growing significantly in God, young warriors, they're spiritually strong, and to end, it's inseparably connected together, and the word of God lives or abides in you. Would you love that? In you. In other words, the word doesn't go in one ear and out the other. And by the way, the word abides, lives, abides, means to reside and not move out. To reside and not move out. Then he says this, and you, you, well, let's go back. Okay, I write to young men, fathers, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives, abides in you, and you, and you have overcome. Say overcome. In the Bible, that means conquer, prevail. It means to defeat the enemy. You have overcome the evil one, the provoker, embodiment of evil. Satan himself, he's opposite, right, of our God who is holy. So I want to give you two lessons. You ready? We always have a lesson, right? The first one is this. Victory comes from staying in the word, right? Victory comes from staying in the word. It's the result of God's word, God's word living in us. It's, it's getting into the word and letting the word of God get into to us. And you see, strength is imparted as God's word abides in us. It's the true source, a true source. It's the true source of our abiding victory over Satan. The second lesson is this, keep growing. Keep growing. Are you guys with me? Real Christians Authentic Christians grow up. They grow up, right? And we should all be growing in our walk with God. So question, friends, where are you in your spiritual development? Huh? And it's good to take a a good assessment of where we're at right now in our spiritual walk with God. Where are you in your spiritual development? And I got to tell you, There have been some Christians who've been Christians for a long time but never grow up. Never grow up. Several reasons. Perhaps they never sat under solid preaching of God's word. Perhaps it's laziness. Uh, Perhaps it's lack of commitment, lack of discipline. It's, It's inconsistency in the spiritual disciplines that are necessary to help them grow. But we are called daily to grow up. Amen? And, and, and this is the point that John's making here. If you truly belong to God, you're going to grow. Significant growth in our life. Got it? So how do these verses, verses 12 through 14 that we just exposited, just covered, flow into the rest of the text? I want you to follow me here. John's expression, you've got to get this, John's expression of assurance of salvation, right, and growth in salvation provides the basis 
for his appeal for separation from the world. You got it? Provides the basis for his appeal for separation from the world as further evidence that we belong to God. You guys got that? So, so, so four points. You guys, you guys ready? Say yes. Number one is the warning. Say that. The warning. Write that down. And I got to tell you, I had such an amazing time just, just feasting on his word and, and studying it. And, and, it, and it ministered to my heart. I mean, it brings conviction to all of us, right? Verse 15a, he says, do not love the, the world. I want to stop there because John warns us about this wrong kind of love. It's, it's, it's a love that God hates. You guys with me? It, it's, it's love for the world. Therefore, we are not to love the world. Now, in the Greek, the word world is cosmos. Say cosmos or cosmos. Same thing, cosmos or cosmos. Now, I want to explain the word world because the New Testament has three meanings for it. So, so I want you to, to follow me, okay? It means, first of all, the physical world. Say that. The physical world, the earth, the planet. In Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the, the earth. That's what he's referring to, the physical world. The second meaning is mankind. Mankind, or we could say human, the human race. And, and, and we find this in John 3, John 3, 16. You know, it's my heart for God so loved the, the what? The world. Now, sometimes these two ideas, the physical world and mankind, appear together. And so in John chapter 1, verse 10, it says this. He, speaking of Jesus, was in the world, speaking of earth, and though the world, earth, was made through him, the world, mankind, did not recognize him. You got that? Okay. That being said, to not, now listen now, to not love the world doesn't mean to not love the earth or not love creation, okay, or, or not love mankind. It's not saying that. We should love the beauty of God's creation. And isn't it beautiful? Okay, and we should love mankind, believers and unbelievers. We should we should love, right? So so here in the text, what does John mean when he tells us to not love the world? What well, it means? The third meaning is this: the evil world system. When he says world, in the text here, he's referring to the evil world system. And I want to tell you, friends, it's an invisible evil spiritual world system that is opposed to God. You with me? It's an organized evil world system headed by Satan himself, known as the prince of this world, the governing force of this fallen humanity. And he's the one working behind the scenes. And I want to tell you, friends, it's an evil world system that has perverted values, that's rampant in sin, that has godless priorities, secular ideologies, which includes some aspects of the world of the media, of entertainment, of music, of education, and of politics. Now, this is not to say that everyone or everything in the world is evil. But it is to say that there is an organized system, a, a network uh, with, with an agenda that is anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-family, 
and anti-purity. You guys with me? Huh? This organized system is utterly, 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 utterly hostile towards God and anything that has to do with God. And we blatantly see this before our eyes on TV, on social media, movies, in politics, and also in public education. And I want to tell you something. It's a philosophy of life filled with godless ideologies that are trying to suppress the truth of God and his word. And friends, listen now. If you're safe, say amen. The world system, this evil world system, is constantly trying to rob us of God's best. And it wants to absorb us, to think like it, to act like it, to, to talk like it, and to, to live like it. So here's a lesson. You ready? Here's a lesson. Okay, we are to hate what God hates. We are to hate what God hates. As believers, our heart must be in alignment with God's heart. Therefore, we must love what God loves and hate what God hates. And guess what God hates? God hates sin, and God hates anything that's opposed to him. You guys with me? Now, I want you to write this down. Psalm 97, verse 10a. Romans 12, 9 as well. Psalm 97, 10a. Let those who love the Lord hate, hate evil. Proverbs 8, 13a. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. If you fear the Lord, respect and revere him, you will hate evil. Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Hey, we are in the world. That's a given, right? We are in the world, but not of the world. Right? Well, let me put it this way. Boat in the water, good thing. Water in the boat, not a good thing. You guys got it? Let's, 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 go, let's go finish the text. Do not love the world. That's the evil world system, right? Or anything in the world. Anything in the world. That's speaking of worldly pleasures. Anything in the world, worldly pleasures, pursuits, possessions that become more important than loving God. Now, in chapter 5, verse 21, the very end of John's epistle, and we're going to get to that later on in a couple of months, okay? He ends his epistle with this. Do not love, excuse me, with this. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. He ends it like that. Dear children, those who belong to God, keep yourselves from what? Idols. And an idol is anything we love more than God or serve more than God. That's an idol. It can be a job. It can be a business. It could be money. It could even be our family. Huh? Our house. Sports team. Our car. Our iPhone. Netflix, right? Right? Facebook, social media. It's anything that pulls us away from supreme love and passion for God. Why is it so quiet? Why is it so quiet? I want to say this. It's not saying that we cannot have things, okay? All right? Don't go and say, Pastor, I don't say we can have things. Okay? No, it's not saying that. It's saying things cannot have us. Got it? Okay. Let me put it this way. And then let me put it this way. It, it's not saying that we cannot work in the workplace. Just make sure, friends, it doesn't become 
our worship center. Got it? Verse 15b. If anyone loves the world, in other words, continually or habitually loves, lives, and craves for this evil world system, love for the Father is what? <laughs> Man, you can't get any clearer than that. I'm going to read that again because this is sobering. I mean, when you read First John, you, you got to ask, man, am I really saved? I mean, there's a check, right? If anyone loves the world, okay, habitually, continually lives in craze for this evil world system, love for the Father, God, is not in him. You see, love for God and love for the world cannot coexist in the human heart. Cannot. And they both cannot be on, on the increase at the same time. And if anyone who persistently makes the world the object of their love, the end result is what? The love of the Father is not in them. Now I want you to write this down. James chapter 4, verse 4. James 4, verse 4. And James writes this, and this is sobering. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity, or in other words, hostility against God? Therefore, Okay, who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes what? An enemy of God. This is God's word, man. Right? If we make ourselves a friend of this world, this world system, guess what? We're in opposition to God. We're not a friend of God, but an enemy of God. We're a friend of the world or a friend of God. We're not both. You're either one or the other. Got it? So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? It's impossible to love God and love what he hates. Impossible. It's impossible to love God and love what he hates. If you love what God hates, there's something wrong, Christians. Something wrong. And we've got to take a step back and look at our lives and say, whoa, I, 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 I can't love that because God hates that. Amen? So he gives us a warning of this world system. Got it? Say the warning. Number two is the wickedness. Write that down, the wickedness. Look at verse 16. For everything in the world, referring to the wickedness coming from the world system. And John shows us how the world operates. And what he does, you'll notice as we break down the text, he, he lists three elements or three forces of wickedness. And so notice the first element or the first force of wickedness. Let's read on. The cravings of sinful man. Your, the Amplified Bible says the cravings for sensual gratification. The King James, and I love this, the way King James renders it, is the lust of the flesh. Say the lust of the flesh. In, in the Greek, the word lust is epithumia. Epithumia. Say that. Epithumia. It speaks of a craving or a passionate desire. Now, that could be good or bad, depending on the context of the sentence. But here, it's, it's not good because it's used in the negative form, the lust of the flesh. Strong cravings, desires that set a hook in us. Now, listen, God has given you and I desires, right? He's given us desires, and, and they are God-given desires that he places in us. For example, eat, good desire, right? Uh, sleep, 
sex. Those desires are God-given, given by God. They are normal, natural desires to be fulfilled, but, say but, intended to be fulfilled the way God intended them to be fulfilled. You see, the problem is when we seek to fulfill those desires outside of God's intended purpose. Stay with me. For example, hunger, natural human desire, right? I'm hungry right now. I'll be honest, I'm hungry right now. Yeah, I can't wait till the second service is over because I'm going to go eat, right? But I'm hungry right now, okay? It, it's a natural human desire, but gluttony is a sin. You guys with me? Sleep. Some of us like to sleep. Some of you sleep too much, but anyway, we love, right? it's a natural desire to sleep, but laziness is a sin. Sex. Sex is a human natural desire. God invented sex. Amen. Natural human desire. But to fulfill that desire outside of the commitment of marriage is a sin. Got it? Well, we love each other. Then get married. You know? Right? Bottom line is this. Any desire out of control, out of God's intended purpose, becomes destructive. Becomes sinful when used for illegitimate ends. And you see what Satan, he loves to do is take those desires and turn them into runaway desires. Where we, we become so consumed, so consumed and obsessed with them. So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Keep our desires under control. Keep them under control. How? Galatians 5.16. Galatians 5.16. Paul says, walk by the Spirit. That's how. Live by the Spirit. Right? Stay connected to the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's how. Right? The old nature wants to gratify the flesh. The new nature wants to glorify Christ. So what are you going to do? And this is why I always tell you all the time, friends, we need to understand that we got to get up and crucify the flesh and cultivate, crucify the old nature and cultivate the new nature, right? Crucifying that and cultivating the new nature. In other words, walk by the Spirit, read the Word, pray, make sure you're connected to the Lord. That's how we keep our desires under control. Now notice the second element or force of wickedness, the lust of his eyes. It's seeking to have all that we see, the desire to acquire the things seen. Now, some of you have heard that saying, feast your eyes on this, right? Feast your eyes on this, okay? The eyes, why? Because the eyes are the gateway into the mind. It's what's triggering the flesh. What we set before our eyes has an entry point into our flesh, our mind, our body, okay? What we look at with our eyes has a capacity to excite and ignite the flesh, and what it does, it lures the flesh to respond. And this is why, listen now, this is why addiction to pornography is a major problem. Not just with men, with women too now, guys. Are you guys with me? It's sin. It's wrong. It destroys lives. It destroys marriages. It destroys relationships. Matthew, Matthew listen, Matthew 5.28. Matthew 5.28. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully 
has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, I want to go back to that and read that because I want you to get the connection here. But I tell you, anyone who looks, say looks, at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Say looks. Say heart. There's a direct connection between the eyes and the heart. Got it? Listen, don't put things in front of our eyes that will cause us to lust. We need to set some boundaries. You guys with me? Now, now, now I, I want to point out as well that the lust of the eyes can also mean lusting for stuff. Got, got it? Not just lusting for someone, but lusting for stuff like a house or a car, clothes, entertainment, activities, iPhones. Have you ever heard of the man by the name of Achan? Achan? Huh? Right? God had warned Israel to not take spoils from the city of Jericho, but the man disobeyed. Huh? In Joshua chapter 7, verse 21, some of you guys might know this. It says, when, speaking of Achan, when I saw. When I saw. Okay? He was warned not to take anything, anything, any spoils. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. The lust of the eyes led him to sin, and his sin led the army to defeat. You guys with me? Sin always ends in defeat. Notice the third element of the third force of wickedness. And the boasting of what he has and does can also refer to pride of life. The Amplified Bible renders like this, assurance in one's own resources or in the stability of earthly things. John Piper points out, I love what he does here, the first two sins, lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes, refer to desires for what we don't have. The third sin, the boast of life or pride of life, then is a reference to what we do have. He goes on to say this, the pride of life is to trust in what we possess. It is to trust in our riches, our career. The sin of pride says this, I have all that I need, I am secure, therefore I don't have any need for God. Listen, friends, the pride of life, what that does, that mocks the sufficiency of God. It sounds like this. It could sound like this. You know, I need more than God to be content. I need more than God to be content. Sounds like that. It could sound like that, right? More than God to be content. You know, um, I need a certain kind of home or, or a car, a certain measure of health, wealth, and success, and certain status in society to be content. And what it says is that God is not enough. It, listen now, it produces a vain assurance in one's own resources. In other words, I know better than God. I'm wiser than God. That's called the pride of life. Wise in their own eyes. So, ready for the lesson? God is enough. Is God enough? 
He's more than enough. He's sufficient. He's sufficient, right? He's all that we need. He's all that we need. He's all that we need. It only, it's only because of him that we live, that we breathe, right? That we move. He's a giver and sustainer of life, the author of life. Say, God is enough. And by the way, when we, listen now, when we have nothing left but God, then for the first time, we, we realize that God is, in fact, enough. Amen. So when everything is stripped from you, let's say today everything is stripped from you, would you say that God is enough? He should be. Amen? Now, now, now follow me here because these three elements, these three forces of wickedness can be traced back to the beginning. And it's illustrated in the sin of Adam and Eve. Write this down, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Genesis 3, verse 6. And I want you to follow me here. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the tree was good for food, lust of the eyes. Oh, lust of the flesh, lust of the flesh. Tree was good for food. That it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes. And a tree desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. Right there. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her man, right? And he ate it, and Adam took it like a man and blamed Eve, right? Right? That woman. And, and, and we know this, right? Eve was deceived. Adam was disobedient, right? And that being said, do you realize that Satan works the same way today Right, as he did back then. And unfortunately, we know that, unfortunately, at times we fall into his trap. Right? Now notice John says, all of this, this threefold triad, okay, right, flesh, eyes, and pride of life, comes not from the what? Father, but from who? The world. In other words, they don't spring from God. We know that, right? God is holy. God is good but from Satan using the system that he controls. So here's a lesson. You ready for the lesson? Put up a wall of defense. Put it up. It's our responsibility. Put it up. Put it up. We need to guard our eyes. We need to guard our heart, our priorities, our soul, our life. We need to be on guard against worldly influences that interfere with our love for God and interfere with our love for one another. And this is why, listen now, this is why we need to be in the Word daily. This is why you and I need to be prayed up, covered. This is why you and I need to be in connection with other believers. This is why you and I need to put on the full armor of God. That's a choice. It's a choice. And we have a choice to walk out without equipping ourselves or to walk out Equipping ourselves. It's our choice. And if you don't do that, listen now, friends, you have no wall of defense. Amen? So we want a wall of defense. Listen now, be in the Word. Be prayed up. Be connected to other believers. And put on the full armor of God. Amen? Full armor of God. The warning, the wickedness, number three, is the worthlessness. Say that. 
the worthlessness. Verse 17a. Verse 17a. The world and its desires, what? Pass away. Hey, hey, this world system, this world is a sinking ship. You guys with me? It's, it's, it's going to pass away. It's not going to last. It's self-destructing. Satan's system is destined to ruin. And this is the reason why we as believers shouldn't love the world, why we shouldn't put stock in it. Nothing in this world is going to last, friends. It's not. Nor will it bring lasting satisfaction or joy. What's sad is that people will sacrifice the permanent eternity for the temporary, the world. I want you to write this down, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 18. Paul writes, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is what? Temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. The world is not worth loving, and the world is not worth living for. But Christ is worth loving, and Christ is worth living for. Brings you right to fourth point is the will. Say that, the will. Verse 7b, the last part of verse 17, 17, excuse me, 17. But the man, woman, who does the will of God lives, slashes, slash, abides, abides forever. And we know that this stands in, listen now, in strong, stark contrast to the passing world, right? If you're saved, say amen. We are not to be a part of something that is passing away. If we are saved, we are a part of something that is eternal. Amen? So, so this begs the question, who is the one who does the will of God? Believers. Say believers. We are defined in the word of God as ones who do the will of God. So what is the will of God? Follow me now. What's the will of God? In context, it's believing the gospel. And we've done that. Right? It's trusting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we've done that. Right? That's the will of God. Prove it. I will. John 640. John chapter 6, verse 40. You guys ready? For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. Amen? But the man, woman who does the will of God lives slash abides forever. So since we've done that, right, since we've given our lives to him, we will live and abide forever. We're not going, to, we're not, we're not going where the system's going. We're not. The system is going into what? Death. We're going into life forever. So lesson, and I'll let you guys go. You guys ready for this? I love this one. We are forever people. We are forever people. Right? I'm, some of you are not excited about that, but we are forever people. Amen, right? Okay? And we know that through the text, through the context, 
text, the world and its lust will disintegrate and disappear. We know that, right? But we, speaking of God's children, the ones who do the will, are destined to live forever with them. And this is why, this now, this is why at the point of death, we are not afraid. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you. Man, so much to hear, so much to learn, so much to apply to our lives. Oh, Lord, that we would grow up, that we would set boundaries, that we would hate what you hate, 